Why don't you join me as we uh, open up to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, 54 and 55 is our uh, goal tonight. We'll see how that all works out, but we invite you to open up with us as we continue to take a look. Last week we we went through the Holy of Holies in the Scripture as we uh, uh, discussed Isaiah uh, chapter 53, which... Um, 800 years before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ spoke of uh, what that was all about, what was going to take place, and how that was going to go. And chapter 54 becomes a, <clears throat> uh, an opportunity for the Lord as, he, as He's looking ahead. Now we see God's redemption, the work of grace wrought on the cross by Jesus Christ. And then He looks ahead, and in chapter 54, verse 1, He sees the church. And he has something to say to her, and then he's going to focus in on God's ultimate plan for Israel. Listen, it says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. He says, now, <clears throat> that which was barren or without child in, in the Jewish social life was viewed as as utterly lost of any value. If you didn't have children, you didn't have anything. Children were everything. And the more children, the more that you had. And, and so people wanted to have uh, children. They wanted to give birth to children. But as we look at chapter 54, verse 1, <clears throat> God's going to speak about this, this bride. In fact, if we look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 27, we'll read where Paul, the apostle, applies this scripture to the church, to the new covenant. Blessed, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. The woman married to God throughout scripture is the nation of Israel. But the bride of Christ is without children, right? She's a virgin bride. She has given birth to none. But there will be more children from her, through her, than there were through the law. In other words, more people were going to get saved under the new covenant. Through grace, the new covenant was going to bring in or usher in this grand salvation. So more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. But then in verse 2, he looks forward to the, to the future uh, blessing in Israel. Look, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Now he's looking at Israel and he's saying, listen, get ready to expand your borders. Why would they be ready to expand their borders? Well, folks, right now today, Israel is about 7,000 square miles. It's not very big. Uh, Under the height of their reign with David and Solomon... They had 30,000 square miles. According to the boundaries that God gave Abraham in the book of Genesis, they should have 300,000 square miles. So even at their height, the best they ever possessed was 10% of what God had for them. The picture to us is one like this. Listen, how much of what God has for us are we possessing? God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, the hope and the future that God has planned for you. How much do we leave unoccupied? 
Because we're not willing to step into that territory. What was it that, that Joshua was told? Wherever you place the sole of your foot, wherever you place the sole of your foot, I'll give it to you. Wherever you're willing to go, however far you're real, willing to stride, that is where you will receive. Now, in our spiritual lives with the Lord, are we willing to continue to step forward? Are we willing to continue to look for the next battle, the next hill, the next giant, whatever it is that stands in our way? Because God declares to the nation of Israel, here, enlarge the place of your tent. Get ready. He says, enlarge the place. That means go outside your tent and begin to level off the area where the tent's going to expand to. And then strengthen the cords because I'm going to stretch them out wide and they need to be strong. And strengthen those stakes so they're strong enough to, to hold up the walls and the things that I'm going to give. He, he asked them to live their life in preparedness, even though right now they don't have fulfillment of the promise. God says, trust me and prepare. Trust me and be ready. Be ready for everything that I want to do, that I want to bring. For they will expand to the right and to the left. And really for us, are we expanding? Are we ready to do whatever the next thing the Lord has? Are we fighting against that attitude of being comfortable and saying, this is enough, it's good enough? Are we prepared to say, no, it's not good enough, I want everything God has for me. If this is it, if this is everything God has for me, then I'm satisfied in Him. But I don't want to be satisfied in stuff. I don't want to be satisfied in the status quo. I want to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. I want to be satisfied in Him, that He is the main purpose, my main point. The reason I go to work in the morning, the reason I, I tuck my kids in at night, the reason I, I talk to who I talk to or spend time with who I spend time with, that it's all about Him. To follow wholly after the Lord. Utterly, completely, totally. Are we willing to expand? In verse 4 he says, Now do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. He speaks to him of shame and disgrace, humiliation. And these three words, they represent Hebrew, um, Hebrew verbs sharing the fundamental ideas of being disappointed. Anybody had a disappointed hope? Anybody ever had the embarrassment of expecting, even publicly announcing one thing, only to find out that another is what took place? Because that's what it would be like for the nation of Israel. We're God's chosen. We're God's favorite kids. And He's going to bless and we're going to have this kingdom and then... In 70 AD, they ceased to exist. And that attitude of shame at their past and, and being uh, uh, disgruntled, if you will, over their present. In fact, you go to Israel today and you talk to the, to the people there in Israel. They'll say, how can anybody say we're God's chosen people? Look at how hard we've had it. And truly, you will not find a more persecuted people group on the face of the earth. Not one. From the beginning of time. <clears throat> why? Well, it's demonic. That's why. Because a Messiah would come through them. Lord, the God would be made flesh, manifest in the flesh, through 
the Jewish people. He would present himself to the world. And so Satan did everything he could to destroy them. Pharaoh tried to destroy him. How did Pharaoh try to destroy him? He cast every boy born into the Nile. In case you need me to draw that out for you, that means eventually there will be no more kids. No more children. But God <clears throat> saved Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's home, paid for by Pharaoh's treasury, to be the deliverer for the children of Israel. We see another guy named Haman. Haman, at the time of Esther, in the book of Esther, he had a plan to kill every one of the Jews. In fact, he told the king on this certain day they were going to hang them all. And you'll remember Esther, the, the, Esther's uncle came to her, Mordecai, and, and he said to her, Listen, how do you not know that for such a time as this, you are not placed in this position so that you could go to the king and tell him what's going on? Esther was afraid to go to the king because if the king didn't call for her and she appeared, he could say off with her head. But she went. And she delivered her people. Oh, the king didn't have the power to rescind the command. All he said was, oh, you can fight back. So Haman, who built the hangman's noose for the children of Israel, ended up hanging in his own noose that he had planned to destroy the children of Israel with. Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler, who developed the Third Reich, who believed that his empire would last a thousand years. You know how long it lasts? Twelve. He's short a little bit. Didn't quite measure up. But again, what was his goal? To destroy the children of Israel. To wipe out the Jewish race. It's no different than every neighbor around Israel today. What is their goal? How do you do a peace process with a group of people? In their holy book, it is written that in order for them to achieve that, that godless perfection on earth that they're looking for, the nation of Israel must cease to exist, and every Jew, every Jew and Christian must be dead or gone. Now, let's sit down and talk peace. Yeah, that's, that's just not going to work. Here's my stance. Uh, you have to die. I don't want to die, but you have to die. No, I don't want to die, but you have to die. You going to get anywhere? You can't get anywhere with them. You can't get anywhere in the peace process because that's their ideal. They want to trade land for peace. What land do they want to trade? Jerusalem. Whose land is it? Do you remember? It was when we studied in the book of Leviticus, God said, it's my land and I'll give it to whomever I'll give it to. And I gave it to the children of Israel. So who is the one to decide who gets what? God. God is the one who will decide. So as we take a look at this, he's saying that there's going to be an end to this shame. There's going to be an end to their reproach. There's going to be an end to the things that they're suffering through now. That what they are going through now is temporal. That means temporary. What's that mean for you and me? Well, simply this. What we're going through now is temporary. And often we put way too much emphasis on what's happening to us now. What we're going through at the present. Only to find out one day that this is just going to be small potatoes. I don't care how big the problem is. When you're standing in eternity before a living God, I don't think you're going to be worried about it anymore. 
I don't think that's even going to be on your mind. And here's what he says in verse 5. For your maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name. The Lord of hosts. <coughs> Yahweh, uh, Yahweh Saboth. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is his name. The maker has been your, or is your husband. God is the husband of the nation of Israel. And Christ is, his bride is the church. The virgin bride, the church, belongs to Christ. Israel belongs to the Lord. God's going to save them all. And everyone who will come to faith, put their faith and trust in him. So he lays out, your maker is your husband, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Now, is anybody curious about who the Redeemer is? The Redeemer. The word Redeemer is the word Goel. It means kinsman Redeemer. Who is our kinsman Redeemer? He who became flesh. He had to become flesh so he could be our kin. Without being our kin, he could not redeem us. So he became flesh. He died in our place. His name is Jesus Christ and he is called who? The God of the whole earth. It will all be His. Everything is going to be His. And He's going to take it and present it to His Father. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. God's not finished with Israel yet. What's He saying? Listen. For God called you like a woman forsaken. Like nobody cares about you. Nobody's there for you. You're all alone in the world. And God says, you're mine. You're mine. I have a purpose. I have a plan. There's a place that I'm going to take you. Just trust. Just trust in me. For a mere moment, I have forsaken you. Well, that mere moment lasted quite a while. 70 AD to 1948. Anybody real quick with math? How many years is that? 70 to 1948. Yeah, it's a long time, huh? <laughs> I'll give you that. It's a long time. And he says here, but, but for a mere moment I have forsaken you. What's he talking about? When he says for a mere moment, he's saying it is temporary. One of the favorite sections of scripture that you ought to hold on to is this phrase. And it came to pass. Because it comes... And it passes. It doesn't stay. It is not permanent. The pain we suffer, the struggles we have, even should those struggles last 70 years long, our entire life wrought in struggles. Listen, when we stand in everlasting glory with God, what will those 70 years be like? Like nothing. Like nothing. And that's what he's saying. It's a mere moment. It's just temporary. It's going to pass. But with great mercies, I will gather you. So listen, for a mere moment, I have forsaken you is in the present tense. Means right now they're in a position where Isaiah is writing the scripture. Perhaps even today they're, they're forsaken for a mere moment. But with great mercies, I will gather you is in the future tense that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. The church has not superseded Israel. God never breaks a promise, not even a promise he makes to those who are unfaithful. 
By the way, that would include all of us, right? Because all of us at one time or another have been unfaithful to God. But God will not break his promise to us. Any more than he'll break his promise to the nation of Israel. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. Again, temporary. But with everlasting kindness. By the way, how long does that last? Yeah, long time, right? Everlasting. When does everlasting end? Never. So with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you. So there's a point, a moment in time with the nation of Israel, just like with us, there's moments in time where we go through difficulty, where we struggle, where we find ourselves maybe in the depths of of despair and in the depths of a pit. Does it change God's promise? Does it change the fact that God said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you? Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I think toward you. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Is it true or is it false? If it's true, then this period of time we go through is for a mere moment. And with everlasting kindness, God's going to reach out toward us. Just like he reaches out toward them. In the same way. It will be that which is everlasting. Paul would say it like this. For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Eternal compared with the temporal. That which is everlasting compared with that which is not lasting. The things we go through for a mere moment looking forward to the everlasting kindness of our Savior, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Verse 9, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. What does the picture of Noah mean? That God's anger will not last forever. When God was angry and he brought the flood, it was, is, is the flood still out there? Are we floating around in boats? No, the flood waters receded. The Lord is saying, my anger lasts a moment, but my kindness lasts a lifetime. My anger lasts a moment. My kindness, my kindness will last, will not depart, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. His promise. Nor shall my promise of peace be removed. There will be peace in Jerusalem. It will happen when Jesus Christ is king. At the return of the king, there will be peace. Prior to that, the best anyone will ever do is a promise of seven years of peace. And they won't even achieve that. He goes on to say now, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. God's laying out, listen, I see you. I know what's happening in your life and I care. You are afflicted. You are tossed with tempest in the storm and you are not comforted. Anybody ever felt like they were in the storm? And you feel like sometimes as you go through that, that God somehow forgot you there. You know, he left me in the storm. It's like... uh, turning on the stove and forgetting you were cooking something you ever done that i have a fryer at home it's uh still do see since kathy's been gone it's been getting a lot of work 
I found that I can deep fry just about anything. I have not really done a Twinkie. But I deep fried burritos. I deep fried a chicken pot pie. Oh, man. That was so good. But you gotta take the you gotta take the paper off it. The paper don't deep fry very good. But anyways, I was making French fries. And I put them in and I set it, turned it on. Now there's a timer on the deep fryer, but I don't like to use that. I don't know why. So I set it so where it don't turn off. And I said, I won't forget. I'll just come back in a couple minutes. Oh man. I burnt them things to crispy critters, man. Them fries looked more like little shriveled up toothpicks. All just, they weren't too bad. <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was like the part on the, on the, what do you call it, hash browns? You know, the top part is all burnt. They look like that. Anyhow, sometimes we think that God put us in the fryer and he forgot we're in there. And we're that little french fry getting all shriveled up. Oh, nobody's paying attention. God doesn't notice my affliction. But he does notice your affliction. Listen to what he says at the rest of this verse. Listen. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and your foundation with sapphires. I'll make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. What's he saying? He's saying right now you may have to live in a, in a place that is not even worthy of you. But one day, the place I have prepared for you, you remember how Jesus said it? Well, if I go, I will go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to bring you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. In fact, if you want to see another description of it, you can turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. I love reading how the book ends anyway. Revelation chapter 21. That's all the way in the back. If you get to a concordance with a bunch of words in it, you need to turn left. You went too far. Revelation chapter 21, verse 18. The constructions of its walls of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase the eleventh jacinth, and the twelve amethysts, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each, indiv- in- each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And the city has no need of sun or of moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord illuminated it. And the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved will walk in its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates will not be shut at all by day, and there will be no night. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations in. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Now remember how this began in Isaiah? He said he's speaking to the afflicted, to those who are caught in the storm, in the tempest, to those who are not being comforted. You ever wonder why bad things happen and sometimes it just someone's whole life is marked by that? I remember one time, maybe it's kind of silly, but my faith was really seriously kind of rocked when I when I began to look at some of the ways people spent their entire life. I remember the story of a young man during the the depression who he and his sister were starving and he he happened to be going by a, a, a general food store and there was a candy bar in there and he went in and he stole a candy bar. And they threw him in prison for stealing a candy bar. Because it was also a post office, it was a federal offense. And while he was in prison... While he was serving his time in that place, uh, he got together with someone who wanted to try to escape. So he, he made an escape attempt. Young man, not yet 16. And while they're trying to escape, the, they get caught, it gets foiled. And so in order to make sure he never tried to escape again, they hamstrung him. In case you don't know what that is, that's slicing a knife through your hamstring. On the back of your leg. So you will never run again. And then they threw him in solitary confinement for the rest of his natural life. And I remember thinking, tell me that that did not happen. But what does God say? Even though they treat you like this, this may be the sum of your life. Know that I have prepared a place for you. And it's not like this. And there's no injustice. And there's nothing that makes an abomination or a lie. One of the things that comforted me about this particular story was he passed the time in solitary confinement by writing and rewriting and writing again the Lord's Prayer. Over and over and over again. And as I, as I contemplate those things... I have to remember that the things that we suffer, the stuff we go through here, it's temporary. This is not eternal. I am not going to be defined by by who I was in this place. Because in Christ Jesus, I'm a just man made perfect. That's what the Bible says. In Him, I'm a just man made perfect. In my relationship with Jesus Christ, I will not always be defined by the dumb things I did, by the stupid choices I made, by the lame things that happened, or by the black cloud that seems to follow me wherever I go. None of those things go with us into that place. So God says, hey, you who are afflicted, caught in the storm, and you're not comforted, You don't feel my presence. You don't think I'm there. Listen, I have prepared a place for you. And it is a place of beauty and majesty. In verse 13, he says, All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. God says, I love your children more than you do. Who can watch out for our kids? Anybody? 
God says, I love your children. They'll be taught by the Lord. They'll be taught by the Lord and they'll have peace because peace is found where? In the abundance of stuff? Because you made a good life for them. Because you were able to hand down a, 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 a handsome reward as an inheritance? What is it that's going to make for the peace of your children? A relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. You can try to give them all this other stuff, but the only thing that really matters is a lasting relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what's going to make a difference. And God wants us to know He loves them. And He'll provide for them the same opportunities. In righteousness you will be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. He says, I am your protection and your security. I'm your protection and security. All any man can ever take from you is your life. The Bible says, don't fear man. That's the only thing he can do. Fear God. Why? Because he has the power to decide whether or not you spend eternity in his presence or outside of it. Come to the Lord. If you will fear the Lord, you will not need to fear anyone else. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Really? Well, what happened to Pharaoh? He assembled a big army and a bunch of chariots to go run them down. How'd that work out? Not so good. Either they drowned in the Red Sea, crossing the water as the water came together, or they drowned in the mud at the Reed Sea. Either way, they're gone. Depending on whether or not you're a Bible critic or not. But the reality is, they tried to come against him, and they were destroyed. What about Haman? We talked about him, right? That didn't work out so good. Adolf Hitler, how'd that work out? Oh yeah, that 12 years, that's not a very good reign, right? Over and over and over again, he says, those who assemble against you shall fall for your sake. How about the, the war uh, in 67 or Yom Kippur or the right after May 14th, 1948 when they went to war? How did that all turn out? Well, Israel's still there, right? Everyone who's ever come against Israel has fallen. Unless God said, you're going into captivity or you're going to cease to exist. Uh, Short of that, the Lord said, listen, they're going to fall. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Well, that's nice. Is that for us? Look what it says. This is the heritage of who? Servants of the Lord. So if you are serving the Lord, it's your heritage. No weapon formed against you will prosper. No tongue wagging before you will not be uh, placed in in judgment. You shall condemn. And what's he say next? And their righteousness is how? From me. I don't get righteousness from what I do? No, what did he say? It's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 
When he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became our sin to trade for us his righteousness. The righteousness of God. So listen, chapter 55 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come, buy, eat. How do you buy without money? Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Maybe this is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 7 when he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me, and I will give him drink. He goes on to say, Listen, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages on what does not satisfy? What is bread? What's the real bread? What's the true bread? Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. And how many of us have experienced spending money on things that don't satisfy? Yeah. He says, why? What are you spending your time and money on? Are you spending it on those things that, that are, are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ and his call on your life? Or are you chasing those things which do not satisfy? Are you chasing after that which is not bread? Because that which we need, it doesn't cost us any money. Doesn't cost us anything. And this is what he tells us to do. Three things. Listen carefully to me. Part one. What do we want to do? We want to listen carefully to the Lord. And then the second thing. And eat what is good. A lot of us eat a lot of things. Are we eating what is good? Well, I haven't this whole week. <laughs> I've not had not one good thing. I can't wait till Kathy gets back. And I, well, that's not true. I did have one good thing. Susie made me a dessert. Oh, man. That's, that's why I still live. Yeah, it was good. But anyway, eat that which is good. What? The Lord has for us. Are we eating what is good? If some people say, well, you know, I, I wasn't able to go to church. I wasn't able to. Well, think about it. What did Jesus tell us to eat? Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. Who is Jesus? He's God the Word. What's he talking about eating? The Word of God is his flesh. The picture of his flesh. Are you devouring the Word of God? That means, are you making the Word of God part of your life? Are you eating that which is good? Well, how do we eat that which is good? We don't pile up for ourselves teachers that tickle our ears. We do things that we can get into the Word of God, understand the Word of God, search out the Word of God, eat that which is good. Eat that which is good. And then third, let your soul delight itself in abundance. What did Jesus say? I have come to give you life and life how? More abundantly. So, don't miss that word. What's it say first? Let your soul. Let your soul delight in abundance. We can have a lousy attitude. When we have a lousy attitude, we can't get nothing out of anything, can you? Nothing satisfies, nothing makes us happy. We got the bicker leaves, we're complaining. Nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to work out. Let your soul delight in abundance. Let the mind of Christ be in you. 
Those are things that we have control over, whether or not we're going to allow them to occur. And he says, incline your ear and come to me. Incline your ear. Listen, we have a choice, don't we? We can choose to hear what God has for us. We can choose to read the word of God, make application in my life. What is God's word telling me? What is God's word laying out for me? Make application. I need to have ear to hear. Now, if I don't have an ear to hear, we're not going to hear anything. Incline your ear. What does the word tell us? The word says that the word of God is spiritually discerned. A natural man cannot understand the things of God. If we're not saved, the word of God makes no sense whatsoever at all. But if we are saved... We can pray that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and God will answer that prayer. Try it. Pray that prayer. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear, and then here's the challenge. Read until the Lord speaks. I gave God exactly 42 seconds, and I didn't understand none of it. Wow. 42 seconds out of 168 hours. Man, that's, that's a pretty good tithe of your time. Read until the Lord speaks. Incline your ear to Him. Tune your ear. It's all about what you want to hear. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Uh, how long is an everlasting covenant? forever right so once we have an everlasting covenant with god does it ever get broken can't otherwise it would not be everlasting it would only last until we messed up right then then that's not everlasting that's just temporal he's talking about eternal everlasting covenant never ending by the sure mercies of david think about what did david experience in his life mercy forgiveness perseverance the preserving power of God working in his life. When David's son took the, the reins of his kingdom away, all David, he didn't, do, he didn't even fight. He just walked away. Who preserved his kingdom for him? God did. How about guiding? Did the, the Lord guide him? What about the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I what? Shall not want. He will lead me beside still waters. So he's, he, he received his guidance from the Lord and his blessings. Those are Those are promises that the Lord is laying out to those who listen carefully, who eat what is good, who let their soul delight itself in abundance, who have inclined their ear. They tune themselves to hear what God is saying to them. The mercies of David, that's what we'll experience. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know and the nations who... Uh, do not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. When Jesus Christ rules and reigns as king, all the other nations during the millennial reign will come to Jerusalem. They'll come to pay homage to the king. For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They'll all come during that time. This is what he's talking about. But listen, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That indicates 
that there comes a time when he can't be found. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Today is the day. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't wait another day. If your relationship with God is not right, do not allow the shadow of doubt to cross your mind without repenting and making it right. Make it right. That's the most important relationship in your life. Because that one's eternal. And every other is temporal. He says, let the wicked forsake his way. We call that repentance. We talked about that a little bit this morning. Can a wicked man come to the Lord and continue in his wickedness? No. No. Listen, if I am living in sin, in a relationship with a woman with whom I am not married, and I get saved, and I remain in that relationship, and nothing has changed, I will question the reality of your salvation. Because there's no repentance no repentance once we know this isn't right i can't stay in that anymore but now because i left it is that why i'm saved no i'm saved because i had faith how do i know that you had faith you did something did something with it you stepped out you changed let the wicked repent let the wicked turn let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts Uh uh-oh Anybody had any unrighteous thoughts today? Oh, I'm the only one. Yeah. The Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians to bring every thought captive in Christ. So now we see not only is there an attitude of repentance, but a change of attitude, even down to the thought. Even down to the thought. How's that work wrought? It's worked out in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit and submission to God. Presenting ourselves to Him as, as instruments of righteousness. Giving ourselves over to the Lord. Lord, I'm turning away from who I was and I want to be something new. Now, does that mean I never stumble or fall? No. Does that mean I don't blow it? Does that mean I'm never a prodigal son? Sure, you can be a prodigal son and I won't be able to tell the difference between you and a prodigal pig. So it's a good idea to not be it. Forget all that prodigal stuff, which means the waste, and just... Follow wholly after the Lord. Make your colors clear. Let him return to the Lord. Listen, God didn't leave us. You know that, right? If there's a distance between us and the Lord, he didn't leave us. We left him. What's he say? Let him return. God's still there. He's still there with arms outstretched. All day long, he reaches out his arms to a disobedient and contrary people. His arms are still outreached. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God is going to do that work. He will forgive. So if I find myself in a place I oughtn't be, what do I need to do? Confess. Confess it before the Lord. Receive forgiveness, repent, change my direction, and move on with Him, following wholly after the Lord. For the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That means God doesn't think like us. Nor are your ways my ways. That means God doesn't act like us. For as high as the heavens 
are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That means God knows what He's doing. He's God. Just relax and let Him be God. And trust Him. If there's ever anybody else that is more worthy of your trust, I don't know who it would be than the Lord God. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but they water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. So he's describing the word of God just like water that comes from heaven. Interesting, isn't it? Water from heaven. What does this water from heaven do? So is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. So it's going to accomplish that to what it was sent. What was it sent to do? Well, what does the water say? It says the rain comes, the snow, and does not return, but waters the earth. And makes it bring forth and bud. That means the word brings fruitfulness in our life. The word brings fruitfulness. The Word of God. And that fruit, to some it becomes a seed for the sower to plant and, and receive more fruit. To others it becomes bread to the eater. But it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing of which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. This is the joy and the blessing of restoration. The result of God's Word. You apply God's word in your life, you will go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into singing before you. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. That's interesting. In the Hebrew, that word for thorn is the same word for the acacia tree. I find that interesting because that's what the cross was made out of. Instead of the thorn will come up the cypress. Means instead of the signs of the curse, there will be signs of beauty and restoration. Instead of the briar will come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. How long does it last again? Forever. It will never be cut off. It will never cease This plan that God has, this work of salvation, the power of the word of God. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass away until all things have been fulfilled. And everything that we see on the pages of scripture will be fulfilled. We just have to place our faith and trust, allow God's word to guide, lead, direct, be that water in our life that brings forth fruitfulness. It all comes down to the same, like we were talking about this morning. Abide in Christ. We abide in Christ. God the Word. We abide in Christ. His Word abides in us. And we will bear fruit. And our faith is living. Instead of being not sure whether our faith is living or not. We can know because we wholly follow after the Lord. Because we're willing not only to put our faith and trust in Him, but then receive the word that He gives us and act upon it. Act upon that. 
bringing forth that fruitfulness in our life. Amen? We're going to go ahead and go into a time of prayer. So we invite you all to, to hang out and pray with us. If you got a bail, that's cool. But if you're able to pray, we want to invite you to, to pray as we seek the Lord's face tonight. Uh, we encourage you, if the Lord lays a word on your heart you want to share, um, or you would like to just pray silently to yourself, you'd like to pray out loud, whatever the case may be, we want to provide that opportunity. All we ask is that if you share something out loud, you keep it as brief as you can so that everyone has an opportunity to be able to pray. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time, this opportunity we have to come before you. And God, we ask, Father, even as we receive of your word the promises, the everlasting covenant that you made with the children of Israel, the everlasting covenant of our salvation, Father God, the promises that you lay out, Lord, may we hold on to them and realize the struggles we see in life are temporary. But our relationship with you is eternal. So may we, who are thirsty and hungry, come and buy without money that which really satisfies the relationship we can have with you, our Lord and Savior. So God, equip your people. Help us, Lord Jesus, to step out in faith and possess the land that you call us to. Not be satisfied with one-tenth or one-one-hundredth or, or even a smaller portion, but want to wholly follow after you. It's our heart, Lord God, that you would do a work, a revival in our lives. If we want to see things change around us, we have to realize it will start in us first. So do your work, God. Plant your seed, bring forth your fruit, and help us keep our eyes on the prize. In Jesus' name.